Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. We're going to be in John chapter 8 this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Just a, a, a point while you're turning there. Has anybody had a um, rough week this week? <laughs> anybody had a rough week this week? Yeah, that's, that, that, that's, 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 that's me. Uh, I've had a rough week. I'm, I'm working on just like a, just a, a few hours of sleep. Sickness came into our house. And when, of course, if we got a family of a million. So when one gets it, they all get it. And then they, they stay out. And then finals are this week. And so it's just a lot of stuff going on. Very stressful. And not to mention, me and Miss Terry were talking about this uh, this week. Uh, it's December, y'all. It's December. All right. Time has gotten away from me. I feel like it should be October. But we've got less than three weeks until Christmas. I'm going to say that again. Less than three weeks until Christmas. And some of you might be thinking right now, oh no, i got to go out and get a gift. Or I've got to start thinking about a gift. Or I haven't even put decorations up on my house yet. Or um, is it really that time of a year again? And so this time of a year, if we're not careful, it can be very stressful for us, right? Trying to get everything in order. Maybe our house in order. For those uh, good cooks out there, I'm not, I'm not a very big on cooking. I'm big on eating, but not big on cooking. And so you cooks out there, you're trying to find meat at, at, at a reasonable price, which is almost impossible to do these days. And so you might be stressing out um, a little bit uh, over the holidays, but uh, this study uh, for the passage uh, that we're going to be in this week has really encouraged me, and I want to pass that encouragement on to you guys, okay? Y'all, y'all ready for some encouragement in, during the stressful times, right? All right, don't be stressed. Don't be stressed. Now, it's easy for me to say, right? It's a very easy for me to say, look, we can, we can get so caught up in, in getting things done. We can get so caught up in, in getting the right thing for the right people and everything like that, that we can totally miss the joy that's in this season, the joy that's in this season. And the reason that I'm saying that is because we're going to be in a passage of Scripture today that talks about a specific feast that the Jews observed and how that feast, in those feasts, every, every rite and every ritual and every ceremony within that feast all pointed to something. So we may not be um, history buffs, okay? We may not know where uh, the origin of our Christmas tree comes from. We may not know the origin of our stockings or the lights and why we hang them up or, 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 or specific foods for, for Christmas, okay? I don't... Uh, the, the, the cranberry sauce, I don't get that, okay? I don't, I don't know why that's a, a thing, all right? I, I, I don't like it, and it always goes to waste in my house, okay? So it, anyway, we may not know the origin for all that, but be joyful in it all. Be joyful in it all. And there's, a, there's, there's something that, that, that a stance that I've, that I've taken. Even if I don't know the origin of something, uh, a, a certain tradition, whether it's a, a, a wide tradition or a specific family tradition, I'm going to take that. And I'm going to point it to Christ. I'm going to try to redeem it. I'm going to, I'm going to try to find joy in, in the Christmas season. So 
here's my encouragement to you. Don't get stressed out. Enjoy the season. Enjoy the fun. Enjoy hanging out with family. Enjoy the food. But most of all, enjoy everything pointing to Christ, right? And so this is this, this particular uh, fe- festivity that we're going to look at in, uh, in Jewish um, uh, uh, culture here is going to be one that points uh, specifically to Christ uh, that was initiated about 15 year, 1,500 years before Christ was even born. So what I want to do is I want to look you all to John chapter 8 right now. All right, put your finger there. I want you to go ahead and flip to Leviticus chapter 23. Preaching out of Leviticus this morning. All right, so put a finger there. And then we're going to go back to John chapter 8 um, and, and finish the text because it's important that we get it. Um, so John chapter 8, if, you, if, if, if you're still flipping to Leviticus... Just flip back over to John chapter 8 real quick. We're going to read in verse 12. And our theme for this year for Advent is the I am in the manger. And we're specifically talking about Jesus' seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. So here we go. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is a great and wonderful promise. That those who follow Christ will have the light of life and they will not see darkness. Now we could take this and we could go a million different ways with it. C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis was, uh, uh, has this famous quote that I can't remember word for word, so I'm just going to paraphrase it, okay? Uh, it, I, he said, I view Christianity uh, uh, the, uh, as uh, the sun rising up in the morning. And it, 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 it rises up in the morning. You don't see, and I'm botching the quote right now, but you don't, see, you don't know that the sun is rising up in the morning just because you've seen the sun. But by the sun's light, everything else is illuminated around it. And so we could talk about Jesus being the light of the world. We could talk about Jesus being the light of the world and saying, okay, we understand that Jesus is the light of the world. Yes, amen. He shines brightly. But not only do we know that Jesus is the light of the world, but we can make sense now. Knowing that Jesus is the light of the world, we can make sense of things around us. Suffering, joy, sorrow, stress, busyness, right? We can make sense of all those things knowing that one truth that Jesus is the light of the world. And he shines truth on all the things that are in our lives. We just have to be looking for that in Scripture. And so we can talk about that wonderful truth. We can talk about Jesus being the light of the world and the wonderful truth that um, because Jesus is the light of the world, he shines in the dark. He shines in the, even the dark recesses of our life and in our souls and uncovers and, and illuminates the sin that is there and uncovers it so that we can repent of it and so that we can move forward toward maturity in Christ. Amen. Christ is the light of the world. And those are great and wonderful truths. And we could stop right there and not get any context of what's going on here in this passage of Scripture. Stop there, leave with those truths, and that would be great. That would be fine. But when we look at the context of the when and the why and the where Jesus is saying this particular phrase here, it's more eye-opening than just the phrase itself. It's 
kind of one of those things that you kind of drop your jaw and say, wow. Now, um, uh, uh, how many of you have ever watched the, the old, the, the, well, it's old to me, <laughs> uh, uh, the old show, uh, the, uh, the A-Team? Remember that? Remember that? Remember the A-Team? All right. Nope. Nobody's watched the A-Team in here. Okay. Do you remember the A-Team? The A-Team. Okay. That was, uh, uh what? Uh, dun, 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 dun. No. That's Bonanza. That's Bonanza. All right. That, me and my mama, we love, we love some Bonanza. Okay. But no, the A-Team was, um, uh, 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 Dun, dun, dun. I don't, I can't, I can't remember. Doesn't really matter. But at the end of pretty much every show of the A team, do you remember what happened? Uh, the, the, the Colonel, uh, Hannibal would sit back and he would put a, a cigar in his mouth and he would say a phrase. Do you remember what the phrase was? Anybody who's watched A team? What was the phrase, Lenny? I love it when a plan comes together. That's what he always said. I love it when a plan comes together. When we look at this passage of scripture and we see Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. It's like, I love it when a plan comes together because literally everything about this feast points to Christ. It's so wonderful. So we're going to take our Bible and we're going to be excited. We're going to go to Leviticus chapter 23. Everybody turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23 outlines the reason for the feast that we're looking at today. Now, the feast that we're looking at today is called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tents or the Feast of Booths. It goes by the same name. Or you can go by the Hebrew name, Sukkot. That is the Hebrew name. It means tents. That's all it means. So why in the world would they name a festival after tents? Well, we're going to find out in Leviticus chapter 23 as we read. And God sets up these parameters for the Feast of Booths here or the Feast of uh, Tabernacles here. So starting in verse 33, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 33, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation, and you shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a day uh, of holy convocation and present uh, a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. Now jump down to verse 39. He tells him again. He's already told him a couple of times, but he tells him again, if you don't, if you don't know the date by, the, by, by now, I'm going to tell you the date a couple more times. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the, the, in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of booths seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. We just read that. And you shall take on the first day of the fruit of the, uh, uh, of the splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it. Here we go again. In the seventh month, you shall dwell in booths for seven, seven days. If you haven't got it, look, he's, he's, he's hammering it into their heads right here. You're gonna, this is what you're going to do. And all native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is what the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, is all about. It's about three things, okay? It's about the, a, a present, 
thing, something that in the present that we're, that uh, the, the Jewish people are uh, petitioning God for. It's something in, in the past that we view the past and we have a future element to this particular feast. God says in his instructions to the Feast of Booths, all right, I'm going to hit you with some history here. God says, look, in the present, you're going to pray uh, and you're going to thank me for my provision. You're going to thank me for my provision. All your generations will do this. So it, 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 the Feast of Booth uh, comes about in, around the fall harvest time. It's, it's our late September, early October. Uh, that's when the Feast of Booths happens. And so the people of Israel, they thank God for his provision. Number two, they look to the past. The generations in, 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 uh, that, that keep going on with this and keep celebrating this feast, they look to the past and they, they look and they see how God led the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. Now, when you're thinking about that, you're not thinking about just the overarching story of the people going into the promised land. No, if you're a Jew and you're celebrating the, the Feast of Booths, you need to think about all the particulars of God sending people out of, of God sending his people out of the promised land. Well, let's think of a few of them. What's one of them? Well, God gave uh, Moses what? The law, right? On, on Mount Sinai. This, is, this happened during the wandering years. What's another thing? Well, God provided what for them? Manna. He provides for them manna, provides for them their food. The next thing that we can think of maybe during these wandering years is Moses. How he takes the staff and what does he do? He strikes the rock and what comes out? Water. To provide water for the people of Israel. You see that, you see where I'm going with this? This is provision here. This is provision. And then we get to another, another thing, okay? Uh, uh, the, 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 throughout the wandering years, what do they follow? It, during the day, they follow a column of smoke. But at night, they follow a pillar of fire, which lights their way and tells them where to go. So the fire is moving forward. And guess what they're doing? What are they doing? They're following the fire. And this is going to be very important. I'm going to tie all this in here in a minute. Now, generations pass, okay? And as generations pass from this uh, law given here in, in, in Leviticus, all the way up through the Old Testament, through the intertestamental period, certain rituals were added and ceremonies were added to this feast of booths. Now, a couple important uh, 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 rituals is, number one, you have the water libation ritual. This is where the priest would go to the pool of Siloam near Jerusalem and dip his, his, his jar in there and his vessel in there and take it back to the temple, pour it in a basin, and it would flow down to the altar. That was the libation, the water libation ritual. That's what happened. Then we have another uh, 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 ritual, which we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we have another ritual is, um, is the lighting of the four candelabras that are in the women's court of the temple. This is the lighting ceremony. And I'll explain more about that in, in a little bit. But if you are a Jew, put yourself with, in, in the time. And if you're a Jewish person, you're excited that this feast of booze is coming because this feast is nothing uh, is all about nothing but joy 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 the whole season the whole week is joyful celebration. You rejoice that God's provided for you. You rejoice that God led the people out of Egypt. You rejoice in the future element of this particular feast is you're looking forward to the hope of salvation and deliverance in the future. 
This is what you're celebrating as a Jew. So your family, let's say you, you had a family uh, back then. Let's say you lived a little bit away from Jerusalem. Now, this is one of the three uh, a pilgrimage feasts, which means that you go to Jerusalem to celebrate this. This is one of the three. Uh, the, the, uh, one of the three is the Feast of Dedication. Okay. Another one is, guess what? The Passover. And then the other one is the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Right? Now, we ask ourselves the question, what has, which feast, which pilgrimage feast has the greatest theological significance? Well, we would look at it and we would say Passover. Passover for sure has the greatest theological significance, right? But the one that was most celebrated, the one that was most attended, the one that was most um, uh, joyful and that people look forward to, and there was a season of, is this one right here. The Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. People look forward to that. So let's say you say you had your family near Jerusalem and um, your wife is excited or let's say, uh, let's say I had the family. My wife is excited because she gets to go to Jerusalem to go to the to shops in Jerusalem, right? Shop around, okay? And, and then my children are very excited because when you go to Jerusalem, you're building these booths. You're building these tents outside of Jerusalem and you stay in the tent for the entire week. So this is, this is, they're excited. My kids are excited about building, building a pillow fort in the living room. <laughs> they're going to be excited about building a booth uh, outside of Jerusalem to stay in it. And I'm excited about it because this is a, a mandatory vacation. <laughs> this is a mandatory vacation in which I'm, I'm rejoicing the whole time I'm there, right? God says, you're going to celebrate this. You're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to celebrate it. This is what you're going to do. And I'm like, oh, sure, I'll take it. I'll, I'll go. Okay, if you want me to go, God, I guess I'll go. But I'm going to take my mandatory vacation where at least two days on that vacation, I get to rest and do no work. It's pretty cool. So uh, we, we, get the, we get the kind of the context of this. This is the feast that's going on during, uh, the, uh, during the time that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit more about, uh, about the feast itself. Um, uh, sorry, you guys with me? You guys trekking with me? No. Oh, man. <laughs> are you guys with I know history can be boring sometimes, but I'm excited about it. All right. So are you guys with me? You, y'all, y'all ready for, 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 for some more? Okay. So this is the good stuff. I promise. I promise this is the good stuff. During this ceremony, during this feast, they had the ceremony of the lights. The ceremony that they would light the four candelabras in the women's courtyard in the, um, in the temple. For seven days, all seven days, they would do this at night. So when it got dark, they would light these candelabras. Now, these weren't your, just your normal, like, candelabras. These suckers were 75 feet tall. During the ceremony, your, your, your little uh, Levites in training, your little boys would take 10 gallons of oil to to, to put into these candles so that it would light. It's said that when these candles lit at the four corners of the women's courtyard, that no courtyard in all of Jerusalem would stay, would stay dark. It would light up the whole city of Jerusalem when they lit this. Not only that, but this particular ceremony. Now, now these ceremonies may be joyful and they may be happy, but they're very liturgical. What do I mean by liturgical? They're very ordered. They're very ordered in the way you do things. 
In the Mishnah, I spent some time reading the Mishnah, which is the Jewish document, okay, that lines out a whole bunch of stuff. I spent some time reading the Mishnah this week about how they would do things at, at, at Sukkot, how they would do the ceremonies, how they would do the water libation ceremony or the lighting ceremony. And it's really cool because in between the women's, the, the, when you would go into the temple, right there, as you would get to the temple, you would have a courtyard, a massive courtyard. This was called the Gentiles courtyard. Gentiles couldn't go any further than this, but people that weren't Jewish, people that weren't of Israel could go no further, and they would hang out in the massive Gentiles' courtyard. And then beyond that, you had what were they called? The women's courtyard. And the reason why they called it the women's courtyard is because the women couldn't go any further than that. Even the women of Israel could go no further than this courtyard. Then you would have another courtyard, which was Israel's courtyard, which was the men of Israel would go into and they do their thing. So Jesus is here. He's at the women's courtyard. How do I know he's at the women's courtyard? The, the, the courtyard. John chapter 8, verse 20. Let's read this. It says, These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. He's at the treasury. And we know from Herod's temple and his plans that the treasury is located in the women's courtyard. All right, he's at the women's courtyard, and guess what day it is? It's the last day of the feast. Now, every day, <laughs> every day, this is this is about to get this is about this is the good plan is about to come together. Every day of the feast, you would do the water libation ritual in the morning, and 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 and, and in the evening, you would do the lighting ceremony. You would do the lighting festival. So, what would happen is as um, uh, as uh, the priest would come in. They would there would be two priests. There would be trumpeters all around and musicians all around. They would stand on the steps of the Israel courtyard, going toward the woman's courtyard. And what they would do is they would take a step, and the priest, one of the priests, would quote one of the ascent psalms, one of the fifteen or so ascent psalms in Psalms, psalms about guess what? Psalms about deliverance, psalms about salvation, psalms about provision. So. Each step they would take, they would quote another psalm. And as they quoted another psalm, the music would play. And you had dancing. You had singing. You had uh, even the historical documents uh, record that you had people in the women's courtyard so joyful that they lit torches on fire and juggled them. In the courtyard, in the women's courtyard, as this ritual is going on. So when this ritual is going on, they're quoting scripture about God's salvation of Israel. They're quoting scripture about God's deliverance of Israel. And Jesus is there. He's in the middle of the courtyard. There's one specific detail about this lighting ritual that just blows me away. There's four massive candelabras there, 75 feet tall, that light the whole city of Jerusalem. Every night they light them, except one. They leave it unlit. Do you know why they leave it unlit? Because it's representing the future salvation and deliverance that Israel has yet to experience. The future salvation and deliverance that is yet to come. They wait until the very last night of the feast to light this candelabra. Signifying that hope is coming, hope is coming, hope is coming. So, <laughs> I want to. I want you to get this picture because I'm super excited about it. You, you got to get this picture. You have to get it. Imagine the music playing, and every step is a psalm of deliverance and salvation. 
Every step is the deliverance of salvation. And music playing, celebration and joy happening. With every step, it, the anticipation is building to light these candles. Especially this candle that has not been lit. That it signifies this future salvation. And as you, as you, as you uh, walk the steps, these, these psalms are being read over and over again. Talking about the salvation of Israel. And you have a man in the courtyard whose name is Jesus, who, by the way, in Hebrew, his name is Yeshua, and it means, guess what? Deliverance, salvation. So as they're walking down to light the candle, to light the candelabra of salvation, and they're quoting scripture, it intensifies and it builds and it builds and it builds and builds and it builds. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. That candle that you're lighting tonight, that candelabra about salvation, yeah, that's me. I am the hope and the salvation of Israel. But notice, he didn't say Israel, did he? I am the light of the what? World. Who's he in the earshot of? The Gentiles' court. What hope this must have brought the Gentiles? What hope this must have brought people that weren't even of Israel. He says, I am the light of the world. See, right now, these four candelabras that are lit in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles are lit to illuminate Jerusalem only. But Jesus is the light of the world meant to illuminate all corners of the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, Whenever I read the history on that several years back, and I've taught on this a few times, when I read that, my jaw hit the floor. And I'm like, this is, this, I love it when a good plan comes together. <laughs> everything about this feast, everything about these rituals points to Jesus Christ. Not only that, but just a few hours earlier, they did the water libation ritual. And Jared's going to get to this and uh, whenever he gets to it in Advent. But this is where Jesus stops and he says, I'm the living water. He doesn't waste an opportunity, does he? And this stirs up the Pharisees because in this women's courtyard, it, it, it connects to the hallway that the Sanhedrin meets in. And so guess who's there? Those high-powered Pharisees, high-powered Sadducees that are a part of the Sanhedrin. And they hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world. And immediately they try to trap him. Read with me in John chapter 8, verse 13, or verse 12. We'll, we'll read verse 12 and following. Again, Jesus spoke to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Now this hints back to what Jesus had said earlier, but they've taken him way out of context. I don't have time to go over it. And Jesus answered, look, even if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Now let's stop right there. And remember, we're thinking back to the exodus out of Egypt. What are these Israelites being led by? A pillar of fire at night. The light at night. And Jesus is saying, I know where I'm coming from. I am that light. I am that pillar of fire. I know where I'm coming from. 
And I know where I'm going. But you don't know where I'm coming from. And you don't know where I'm going. And he hits them a little bit harder with this later on in the scripture. So let's pick it up right here. Verse 15, he says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people, uh, that testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they still didn't get it. They don't know who he's talking about here. And they're thinking, okay, well, an earthly father. And they asked him, they said, verse 19, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus said, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And that's a very important point to make. If we know Christ, we know the Father. If we know Christ, we know the Father. And Jesus is telling these Pharisees here, he's saying, look, you think you know God. You think you do. And look, a lot of people today think that they know God. Maybe people in this room think that they know God. And he says to the Pharisees, he says, you think you know God, but you don't. Because you can't even spot God in the flesh right there in front of your eyes. And this is what he says to them. And then uh, in verse um, 20, let's pick up there. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. We already went over that. Verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now think back to the pillar of fire again. The pillar of fire in the Old Testament was meant to lead the people of Israel where they were supposed to be going. To provide a light for them and to provide a way for them that they were supposed to be going. And Jesus, still playing off the the, the imagery of the light here and of that pillar of fire, he's like, look, Where I'm going, you can't go. Why can't you go? Because you're not my people. The pillar of fire is meant for my people. You're not my people. You don't believe in me. And Jesus says, look, I told you, you will die in your sin. And now, lest lest we think that Jesus is saying here, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. you got to get the tone in which Jesus is speaking to these people. He's giving them opportunity. He's telling them truth. And he says, look, I I know it doesn't sound good to you, but you're going to die in your sin. Verse 22. So the Jews said to him, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you're from below and I'm from above. Like your mind, your mind can't get out of the, the right here now. Your mind can't get past this right here and right now in your life. And sometimes, hey, we're like that, huh? Sometimes we are. We can't get past the here and now a lot of the times in our head into eternal matters, in our head into Christ, in our hearts into Christ. And he's telling these people here, look, you're from below. Like, you're not from where I'm from. I'm from above. You need to get your heads out of this. He says, you're of this world and I am not of this world. Verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sin. Now, 
This next phrase is incredible. In the Greek, you get it. In the English, you don't quite. Because they add a pronoun here in the English that's not there in the Greek. And so I'm going to read it without the... I've got it scratched out in my Bible. I'm going to read it without the pronoun, okay? Because... Talk about pronouns. I'm not getting that crazy. All right, so... (laughs) Some of you got that. All right, so... I'm going I'm to read it without this pronoun. And it, it's, it, you'll, you'll feel the impact of it. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless, that you, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. He says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Now, some of your versions most likely say that unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It's not there in the Greek. No predicate is there in the Greek. It's just ego of me. That's it. I am. What he's doing here is he's building up this tension. He says this at least two other times before he gets to the passage that we read last week, which comes immediately after this. But the, 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 the passage that he gets in the argument with the Pharisees and he says, before Abraham was, I am. And at this point, he said it so many times. That they, that, that, that they get what he's saying, and at that point they pick up stones to try to stone him. They want to try to stone him at that point. And so he says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you. And much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the, uh, about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up, this is a little bit more plain, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And, he's, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. For a good 1,500 years, when this feast was established, all the way to this point, they're waiting on the fulfillment of the promise. They're waiting on the Messiah to come. They're waiting on the the future deliverance, the future salvation to come. And now he's here. And he says to them, unless you believe I am, you're going to die in your sins. Now, I want to point something else out in in the passage. Go back to verse 12. We talked about the pillar of fire And how the pillar of fire moved in the Old Testament and the Israelites followed it, right? Verse 12 again. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now this is so key to our lives. Well, why is it so key to our lives? Because having light and having life in our lives depends on whether or not we follow Christ. Notice what I say. 
it depends on whether or not we follow Christ. You see, we can get so wrapped up in our worlds. How many of you are guilty of that? I am. I am so guilty of being wrapped up in my, and throwing pity parties for myself. Probably the king of it. So, so, so busy. I'm focusing on the negative. Oh, well, cat, cat got sick. You know, my daughter threw up all over my rug. Had to clean that. So focused on my own life. So focused on my own direction. That oftentimes I miss the, the command to follow Christ. Sometimes when we get so busy and we get, and we get so wrapped up and enveloped in our affairs, in our own lives, and in our own, in our own uh, selves, sometimes, you know what? We treat Jesus as just a tag-along. And not somebody that we should be following. It's like, I, I'm living my life, and I'm doing this, this, and this, and yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, you know, I go to church, and yeah, yeah, I do this. And yet we neglect sometimes to follow Christ in the way that he's leading, in the way that he wants us to follow. And what does it, what is it, what does he demand of us to follow him? He demands our all. He demands our life. He demands our full obedience. He demands, guess this, our full affections. And sometimes Jesus is tagging along beside us or tagging along behind us. Uh, you don't understand, you know, my life is too hectic. My business is going crazy or my kids are going nuts or, or, or you know, uh, got to worry about, you know, buying all the presents for all the kids this Christmas. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. Don't get so wrapped up. I, you know, Paul says, and, and I believe it's First or Second Timothy, he says, no soldier gets entangled in, in the affairs of this life. No, no soldier engaged in warfare gets entangled in the affairs of this life so that he might do what? Please him who enlisted him. As we follow Christ, <coughs> excuse me, as we follow Christ, we walk in life. <coughs> and we walk in light. There's so much we can say about this. Excuse me. <coughs> There's so much we can say about this. There's so much we can say about Christ being the light of the world and us following him. But what, is it, what does it demand? It demands our affections, demands our allegiance, demands our submission to him. It demands that when Christ does illuminate things in our lives, that we repent of them. Sometimes... God illuminates something in my life and I don't want to deal with that. Like, I don't want to deal with that right now. I don't want to deal with that sin. I don't want to deal with that, with what you're asking me to do. I don't want to deal with that right now. And Jesus says, if I'm the light of your life, if I'm the light of the world and I'm shining into your life, you're going to deal with it. Deal with it. Repent of it. Maybe you're in here this morning and you know up here that Christ is, is the light of the world. You know that he's shining into your life, but maybe you just haven't fully submitted to following him yet. 
I'm going to urge you to make that decision today to follow Christ and wherever he's leading you, to follow him in discipleship, to, to follow him, to be a true disciple of Christ, to be sold out. Because to be honest with you, some of us at times we're at one foot in, in, in the, in, in on one side of the fence and then, and, and we're on, we're on the fence a lot of times. One foot in the world, one foot in, in God's kingdom and it don't work like that. And I always tell people, you know, if you're on the fence, uh, you got to understand that we used to, we used to have land, um, we still do, and we have a fence that runs on our land. But guess what? The fence is on like 15 foot within our property. So I know our land is 15 feet uh, from 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 the property out out in the country. And I, and I tell people, I said, if you're on the fence you, of of following God and not following, you need to understand that the devil owns the fence. You're, you're, you're walking in the world. You're not submitting to the, to, to the light of Christ. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're like that. You, you haven't submitted fully. You haven't given. Well, I'm, I'm sort of involved. I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm sort of doing, you know, involved in a relationship with Christ. Sort of not, sort of. He wants the full allegiance. He wants full obedience. He wants full affections. Because he deserves it. He is the light of the world that has come into the darkness. He shines into our lives. And he gives us eternal life. Guys, joy was the overwhelming feeling at this Feast of Tabernacles. At this Feast of Tents, joy was the overwhelming feeling. In our lives, joy in Christ should be that. Especially going into this season... I gave that encouragement at the beginning, and I've got to listen to my own advice, to be quite honest with you, because I'm just not going to lie. I can sometimes be a Debbie Downer. Oh, my tree's drying up. My house going to burn down. I can sometimes be a bit Debbie Downer, but that's, that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to focus on him. He wants us to be joyful in him. And maybe that's your struggle. Maybe that's something that you need to commit to the Lord right now. God... I have been just not joyful right now. I have been finding everything wrong with my life. And I haven't realized the greatest blessing of all has come. And I can have joy in him. Maybe that's you. Resolve to be joyful in Christ. As we end, I'm going to leave you, leave you with this. That Christ doesn't do anything, Jesus doesn't do anything by accident. Everything that he does is purposeful. Just like everything in that feast was purposefully teaching the people that observed the feast to rejoice in something. The reason you're here this morning is not an accident. The reason that you're here this morning is not because you just come on Sundays and that's what you do. No matter your motivation for being here, God has something to say to you in this word that we just spoke. And I'm going to challenge you to find it. I'm going to challenge you to let the light of Christ shine in your life and reveal whatever it is. So we're going to pray. We're going to ask JD and the worship team to come up. And we're going to worship. And I want you to, to pray and ask God, what are you trying to illuminate in my life? 
Amen? Amen? Now we're dead. Let's pray.